From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. A little bit of a different morning for us. Pastor Zoe was uh, going to share this morning, but she's sick today, and so we're pulling a little bit of an audible. So keep her in your prayers, but... Um, I want to share something. I said to the Lord, okay, Lord, what now? And, and I want to share uh, a few thoughts that I've been writing down for a retreat that I've been invited to do in the fall. I've been invited to speak at a retreat, and, and I was jotting down some thoughts. And so I want to write them, or I want to share them with you this morning. So we're going to press pause on our study through the book of Ephesians. And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, starting verse 22. One of the great deceptions of our spiritual enemy, the devil, one of the great deceptions of our spiritual enemy is to take the focus of our life off of God and put it on ourselves, to put it on man. This was the ploy of the Garden of Eden, if you remember the, the beginning, the story. God had created beautiful, free naked life, and it was good, and there was no shame. Think about that. Naked and no shame. (laughs) Somebody said amen. It was beautiful. It was bliss. And then in comes what my children's Bible calls the sneaky snake and messes and spoils all the fun and leads man, Adam and Eve, to believe that they are to be the center of their world. If you remember the line, he said, you will be like God. And so the focus came off of God and it came on themselves. And since then, sin has us looking here at me as opposed to there at, at the Father. And that's throughout our culture, throughout our world. If you're, if you're intentional about, and about looking at what the message is being presented, it's all about you. It's all about me, but that's not the message of the Scripture. In John chapter 3, we get this great picture of what our response should be to this urge that is inside of us to look inwardly. John chapter 3, I want to read it, and then we'll, we'll pray. It says this, starting verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized now John was also, also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, He's baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A person can, only, can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. And listen to this verse, verse 30. He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. 
The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence here. And, Lord, as we draw attention to this scripture now, would you speak to our hearts, Lord? God, would we take on this great proclamation that John made, that you must increase and we, we must decrease. And help us to see areas, God, and places in our lives where we've put ourselves on the mantle instead of you. And help us to remove ourselves and place you in your proper place, the center of our world. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me tell you about my buddy John. My buddy John's a pretty interesting guy. He's not very cool, but he's really popular. He's not the coolest guy in the crowd, but he's a pretty popular guy. He doesn't really care what people think about him. He doesn't really follow the crowd. He's a bit of a rebel. And he's not afraid to tell it like it is. He's a truth-sayer. He's a little bit weird, though. He dresses kind of funny. Eats some interesting foods. He's into bugs. Not my thing. Some people's thing. Apparently in some foods now. Not for me. He doesn't shower a lot, I think. Probably smells... A little interesting. I'm going to guess, and this is just my opinion, this is not in the Bible, that he might look a little homeless. He's got that kind of walk out of bed look, you know, that bedhead. Remember when that was cool back in the day, the bedhead look? You kind of just put gel in your hair. Some of you don't remember that. I remember that. And it was cool. It looked like you came out of bed. He's super wise, though. He's a great speaker. And he knows how to draw a crowd And John has a very powerful anointing on him. This is John the Baptist. God had big plans for John the Baptist. John had an enormous, God had an enormous purpose for John. John was the fulfillment of a prophecy that someone was going to come before Jesus and turn the hearts of men back to God. Someone would come in the spirit of Elijah and turn people's attention back to God. And if you know who Elijah was, he was a big deal. When John was growing in utero in his mother's womb, he was filled with the Spirit. Before he was born, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1. It was John's calling and purpose in life to make people ready for the Messiah. So we first see John in what the Bible calls the wilderness, and he's preaching about repentance. He's baptizing people, calling them to repent for their forgiveness of sins, that if, that if you turn from your sin, God will forgive you. Multitudes of people are coming from all over to hear John, to see John, especially those who for the longest time thought that they were not good enough for God. They were not like the Pharisees. They were not like the religious people. They could not attain salvation. God was displeased with them, and there was no way. Well, John was saying, no, turn to him. Turn from your sin, turn to him, and they were being baptized. Baptism, if you know, was a sort of initiation into a movement. And John had disciples. He had students that wanted to learn his teaching and to do what he would do. That's often what students would do in that time as they followed a rabbi, they followed a teacher. They would learn from the teacher so they could become like the teacher. In fact, when you look in the scriptures and you see Jesus calling his disciples and they say, 
and he says, come, follow me. That was a term that a rabbi would say to a student, to a potential student, that that rabbi believed could do the things that he was doing. So John had disciples. They were learning from him. He was a pretty big deal, and he had a lot of cred to back that up. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. Sometimes in the church world, and what preachers say, what we share is God has a purpose for your life, and that is absolutely true. God has a purpose for your life. I believe that. We say that God has a plan for you, and he does. And I believe that God has a unique plan for you. I believe that he's shaped you uniquely in such a way and shaped you and designed you and given you talents and abilities. And should you choose to follow him and, and, and make him Lord of your life, the Spirit will give you spiritual gifts uniquely to be used for his kingdom. I believe that God will call many of you in a special way. He's done it before. He'll do it again. But often when we hear that, God has a plan for your life. Because of our cultural influence is we put ourselves at the center. And we shift the focus off of God. Instead of God has a plan for you, it's God has a plan for you. Now, naturally, this is our society. This is our world, right? That's the message of our culture. Be true to you. Be who you're born to be. The world, the scriptures say, is opposed to God. So naturally, the message of the world is opposed to God's message. world's message, it's about you. God's message, it's about Christ. The message of the Bible, the big story of the Bible, is that Jesus is at the center. Church, we were never meant to be the center of our lives. You were never meant to be the center of your existence. You were never meant to sit on the throne of your heart. There's a lot more nuance to that, obviously. But you're never intended to be in the forefront. No human was. We were made for God. Colossians, Paul tells us that we were made by God and for God, not by God for us. But too many of us live our lives for, for me. Not for me. Not that you're living for me. <laughs> You're living for, for yourself. So let's jump back to John. Here's the scene. Jesus is here, and Jesus is doing some amazing things. He's starting to draw some crowds because of his message. Now he's baptizing people. Jesus, who was baptized by John the baptizer, you know that you do a lot of baptisms when they call you John the Baptist. Now Jesus is baptizing people. People are going to him. He's doing some of the things that John was doing, and an argument breaks out. John's disciples, they come to John and say, Hey, listen, Rabbi, that man that was with you, that man. Now, John, if you remember when Jesus showed up on the scene, said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But his disciples said, Hey, that man, that guy, that dude that was with you on the other side, you know, he's baptizing people. He's doing, he's doing your job. And people are going to him and not us. Now, here's what I think. I think that maybe those disciples were a little perturbed because if people are going to go to Jesus instead of John, that means they're going to go to Jesus' disciples and not them. So John says this to them. He says, first, he says, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. God's plan for your life, God's purpose for your life is from heaven. 
You can't change it. You can't elaborate on it. You can't make it greater. You can pursue your own purpose and your own plan. But John had a purpose from God. He couldn't be more than what God had set up for him. And then he says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. In other words, I'm not the main character. In other words, his disciples were missing the point. So I was at this, uh, I was at this retreat preaching last year, and in the last session, we had, it was pre-service prayer. Before the last session, we had this time of sharing. They just kind of naturally broke out and started sharing about what God was doing to them all weekend. It was really powerful to hear these students. It was a youth retreat. Students share about what God had done in them or what God had stirred in them. And it lasted about an hour and a half. You know, pre-service prayer, I think, started at 9. Service started at 10. And from 9 all the way to 10.30, it was just testimony after testimony of what God was doing. But what I noted was that many of them had said that the first two nights they had come expecting God to do something in them and nothing happened until the Saturday night. And I noted that. There was expectation for God to do something in them. They had made it about them, what God could do for them. And that's what we do. We make church, we make the gathering, we make the Word, we make our lives about what God can do for me. And do you know what the beautiful thing about God's upside-down countercultural kingdom is often when you move towards God, come near to God, He will come near to you. And when you give, you receive, right? As you give of yourself, you receive of God, like you get from God. That's the beauty of His economy. But we don't go to God, we don't do things for God so that we can get from Him. You know, even when we talk about giving and we talk about generosity and we talk about tithing, sometimes we tag on this thing that, right, you reap what you sow, and so people do it in order to get. That's the wrong motive. That's the wrong intention. So these students at this retreat, they had come expecting God to do something for them as opposed to just coming for God. And we do that on on a Sunday morning. You know how many times I've heard throughout my time as a pastor, well, I'm not fed there. I'm not fed there. I'm not fed there. I understand, hey, my job, and not necessarily, they're not saying that to me in about Parkway or any other church I've been part of. I've just heard that around. And it is my job as a shepherd to lead the sheep, the under-shepherd. He's the great shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd. To lead the sheep beside pastures where they can learn and grow. I believe I have that stewardship that God's given me, right, to feed. But then if we come there with the expectation, what can I get? How can I be fed? We become these fattened cows, spiritual gluttons that just come to consume. Because never do I hear, rarely do I hear the thought, how can I give? How can I contribute? We leave, people leave churches leave gatherings because the grass isn't green anymore. It's not good meat. Now, there's a lot more nuance to that, I understand. But we make it about us. One of the shifts we have to grasp in our hearts is that we are part of the story, but we're not the whole story. We're part of the story of God, but we're not the main character. And when we begin to wrap our head around this simple truth that it's only about Him, that's when the presence of the Holy Spirit really begins to open up for us. Some of you are wondering why 
you have yet to really encounter Jesus or encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit or be moved by God tangibly, it's because it's not about Him for you. It's about you for you. But when you begin to wrap your head around the truth that it's only about Him, that's when His presence begins to open up in deep, meaningful ways. And that's when things around your life begin to make sense. Relationships shift. Marriages shift. Family dynamics shift. Work, work dynamics shift. Resources shift. Perspective shifts because you've put the, the attention and the focus on the right person. So John continues. He says the bride, right, the person belongs to the bridegroom, Jesus the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens to him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. So his disciples are like, ah! And John's like, yes. And then he says this, I must, he must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less in your life, in your work, in your marriages, in your aspirations, in your dreams, in your coming and your going, He must become greater. Yes, and we know that, right? We know that. But you must become less. Like we do the God must increase, but I think the subtle ploy of the enemy alongside of that is like, let's just increase with them, right? It's the lie of the Garden of Eden. You can be like God. And God's upside-down kingdom, counter-cultural economy, the beauty of the cross is that when you make it all about Him, you become co-heirs with Christ. You are rewarded. But when it's truly about Him, you'll stand before God, He'll give you a reward, and you'll take it, and you'll put it back at His feet. I remember as a kid hearing this whole idea of getting all the rubies and the crowns, and I couldn't wait till my crown was filled. I was going to have all the jewels, right? I don't even know the names of them. Sapphire, ruby, jasmine, I don't know, whatever they are. All these funny words. Mine was going to be full. I couldn't wait to go to heaven because heaven had golden... I was going to get a mansion. I want a mansion. Mine's going to be big. And angels are going to clean it. Right? And what, what do we do with that mentality? That, that mindset is, I'm on the throne. When a, when, a, when a true follower, like John, who says he must become greater, I must become less, recognizes that when we stand and we receive our reward, we look and we say, I don't need this. You are reward enough. I don't need any house. I don't need any mansion. I don't need any of that. He must increase, I must decrease. Jesus must grow more and more. Crazy John got it right. Crazy John got it right. Amy, can you come up? Thank you. One moment that's engraved in my memory. I was 18 years old, 18, 19 years old. I just rededicated my life back to Christ, and by this point in time, I was in probably, I think, my first year of Bible college. Rededicated my life back to God in January. By that September, I'm in Bible college. I think by it was the next year. So I was probably 19, maybe 1920. 
And I just got promoted at my job to assistant manager. 19, I was 19 years old, I remember now. Assistant manager, I was making my own schedule. My, my manager was kind of old school. He liked to be hands-on. He wasn't administrative, so I did all the administrative work. I could pick, I, could, I, I was the one that signed off when people were like, wanted to request time off. I'm 19 years old. I got an increase in pay from 685. That was the minimum wage back then for me. $6.85 to $13. I was rolling in the dough. Bought myself a fancy new car. 1997 Grand Prix GTP, red. Had these little black covers on the lights. It was slick. Actually, I remember being so prideful about this car that when I had to go pick it up, I took a couple, I asked my buddy, I said, can you come drive me? I got to go pick up my first, it was my first car. He's like, sure. And they were still washing it. It was like this used car lot. They were washing it behind the, and he walks around and he goes, that's your first car? I was like, yeah. $13 bought me that. I can't do the hand thing, but if I did it, that's what I do. And I remember, it wasn't much longer after that, maybe a month. I was at a young adult service. I don't remember what the pastor was preaching about, but I remember having this encounter with Jesus where he says to me, would you, would you give it all up for me? Would you quit the job and sell the car? And I kind of ignored it. You know, because sometimes you, you hear that still small voice and you're like, was that God? You know, I thought, I'm young. Maybe I ate funny pizza. You know, I'm indigestion. It's heartburn. Didn't sleep well the night before. A week later, though, it came back to me. And I just began to weep. Because I believed in my heart this was God's provision for my life, right? That this was going to help provide for the finances for Bible college. So I said, God, you gave this to me. Like, why are you asking me to give this up? And unknowingly, I had made myself the center of my plan. I had made my life and my purpose about me and not about him. He must become greater. I must become less. So let me ask you this question. Question for us this morning. So who's at the center of your life? Like, be honest with yourself. Because you're only going to deceive yourself can't deceive God. Who is the focus? Is it you? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Your work? Your dreams? Your time? When you come to church, is it about how you get fed? This is some good food. Is it about what God has for you? Or is it about what you can bring for God? Like, what if, what if when we came, we gathered, it was like, our mindset was like, okay, God, I'm here to offer you myself. What can I give you today? Like, what if that was our mentality? Man, churches would shift, right? I come, Lord, how can I contribute? Not how can I consume? How can I serve you today, God? How, how can I, how, what can I offer today? Is it about receiving or contributing? What if we truly turned the tables around and we began to put Christ at the center, like actually at the center? 
And this is a daily thing, right? This is not just, you can't just do this when you're stirred at a moment in a church service because there's a nice piano playing and the pastor speaks a little bit more softly and then you're just like caught up in the emotion and be like, yeah, I'm going to make Christ the center. Jesus actually said you got to daily pick up your cross. Right? Do you know what picking up your cross means, right? It means you're walking to the mountain to be crucified. you got to daily pick up your cross, follow me. Where's he going? He's going to be crucified. So you're going to crucify yourself, follow Christ. It's a daily thing because I don't know about you, but I'm in this broken shell of a person that has this sinful nature that tends towards me as opposed to God. And so I often slip him off the pedestal and I place myself there, a little idol that's shaped in like a six-foot-tall man. And I put myself there. But I got to knock that off daily and I got to put Christ back at the center. Maybe, maybe break that. Who's at the center of your life? And in what ways can you make God increase and you decrease? Like what areas? Maybe just pick an area for a week. Or this is an area of my life that I've made it about me. And if you ask the Holy Spirit honestly, He'll tell you. What areas of my life have I made it about me? And just pause and ponder and let, let the Spirit speak to you and something will come to mind. Maybe it's a situation, how you're acting in a situation. Maybe it's a relationship dynamic. Maybe it's something at work. What ways do I make this about me? John's message to his disciples, to us, he must become greater, I must become less. So God, in what ways can I increase you in my life? We always go to the go-tos. I've got to get in the Word more. I've got to get into prayer more. But you know, one of the best ways you can do that is by going over here and say, okay, how can I decrease me? How can I take the grip off of myself here and put it back on Him? So what am I holding tightly to? What is my thing? I'm not going to let this go. This is mine. Let that go. For me, back when I was 19, that was that job. And that car, man, that was a sweet car. Do you know who I sold that to? My, my high school best friend. I watched him show up at my house. He handed me money, and he drove off in my car. And that killed my pride. And my next car that I bought was not sleek and fancy. It was a 1995 Honda Civic. I remember when it sold to me, I couldn't even drive manual. The guy drove man. The guy who's, I got the guy. This is how ridiculous this is. I got the guy selling me the car to test drive the car with me in it because I don't know how to drive manual. <laughs> the gearbox was all messed up. I didn't know that because he's like, look how smooth this shifts. <laughs> Windshield wipers didn't work. And eventually, after I bought the car, you know, Googled how to drive it off the lot, figured it out. Eventually, this car, when it rained, it would leak. And I had no money because I wasn't making $13 an hour anymore. So I put towels in the car to soak up the water. That's how I picked up my wife on our first few dates. This stinky car that smelled like moldy stuff. But you know what? As much as I was, I loved that little dinky car, actually. I really did. 
But I look back at that time and I saw a huge pivotal moment for me where I chose God over me. And that was just, that was, I think, the first major one of many, of many moments where God asked me, can you give this up? Can you choose not to have that? Can you sacrifice that? Can you let go of you and just put me? He must become greater. I must become less. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Lord, we lift up Pastor Zoe to you. We just pray you touch her right now. Bring healing, swift healing to her, a miracle of healing right now. We're thankful for this morning. Your presence is here. and You have a purpose for today. And for this word from John, I pray that that would sink into our hearts and we would look at our life and examine our life honestly and think, who's at the center? And what areas are we driving And have failed to place you, God, in the position of number one. So stir us, Holy Spirit. Give us strength to say no to us and yes to you. That we can be like John and make that great proclamation. You must become greater. We must become less. We bless your name, Jesus. We honor you. Amen. Amen. He must become greater, I must become less. That's God's word for us today. Next week, we'll pick up our series where we left off. Bless you today. As you're getting ready for new routines in September and fall, bless you. As you consider the fall and all the things going on, consider how to make room for the Lord. Consider life groups. Consider when you come to church gathering next week, not what to get, but what to give. And maybe that's just offering the only thing you can in worship, and that's your life. God bless you. Maybe Make sure you shake hands with somebody. Be a little extra friendly this morning. Tell somebody they're loved because you are loved. See you next time, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website weareparkway.com You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church